0: hey what's up this is kevin from kevin's barbecue joints and welcome to the kevin's barbecue joints podcast and this one is extremely special it's with homer robertson who is a world champion chuck wagon competitor multi-year winner but he is so much more than that and i had heard such great things from so many different people and i had seen pictures of him at different camps that they put on at Texas A&M, barbecue camps, and I saw these breakfasts that he put on and I I was just so intrigued to get his story and learn a lot about what he does and about the chuck wagon culture and about chuck wagon history, because I know nothing about that. I know a lot of you guys don't either. We started out talking about fire because he is the executive assistant chief at the Fort Worth Fire Department. He's been brought in by Dr. Saville and Dr. Griffin to be on panels to talk about fire and fire management and different things but now he is working on a new program about fireproofing your business so fireproofing barbecue joints and we get into that and in different fires that happen at barbecue joints that you know of and that's super interesting and then it kind of diverges a little bit into working at a fire department we kind of touch a little bit on 9-11 because it's really intriguing his stories about that and then we jump into chuck wagon cooking and that is fascinating. I. I know you guys are going to love that. And Dutch Ovens. And we get deep into the history. History of Texas cattle. And it's definitely well well worth your time. And then his connection to Texas A&M. His son Ty. His son Ty, who works at, now at the Meat Board. Which is in Fort Worth and you definitely should check out. I'll put links to everything below. But we, t- we talk about his re- how his relationship with Texas A&M grew. And... If you ever get lucky enough if you've joined foodways texas and you're on the list to go to either barbecue summer camp or camp brisket there's a chance that you'll get because the the dates are different now because of COVID. everything's been pushed to different times if it's not in the hot hot summer months there's a good chance that you will get a breakfast by Homer Robertson, as well as sides and different desserts from him, all cooked from the chuck wagon, which is insanely special. And also he is available for weddings for function to do chuck wagon cooking, which is something that most people have never seen. It's authentic as all get out, and we get to why he started chuck wagon cooking. Anyways, I'm all over the place, but this is such, such a great interview, such a great chat. I could have talked to Homer for 15 more hours. I can't thank him enough for taking the time I know you are going to thoroughly enjoy this. And I know that if you are around Homer, say hi to him and learn about Chuck Wagon cooking. And if you're enjoying these, please subscribe. That way you don't miss out. I'm trying to do as many of these as possible. That way you don't miss out. I have a website at kevinsbbqjoints.com. But at the end, stay safe and be sure to visit your local barbecue joint. I want to right. people that don't know about you for some reason to, to, you know, to learn about your background as well as what you do for Texas a and as well no, as... Sure. Yeah, the fire department and all that good stuff. So. Right.
1: I'm going back down there next week to do a class.
0: Oh, are you? Okay.
1: At their uh t- at their barbecue town hall.
0: Okay. Oh, there's this a barbecue uh, town hall. is have, that
1: with so foodways? uh no, that is something that Texas AM does, Dr. Sable and Dr. Griffin. It's kind of an extension program. Okay. So they they invite I think pretty much anybody. I don't know if it's by invitation only, but so they're focusing on the uh, barbecue community, uh, especially the the uh, restaurants and okay. people that supply them. So they've done these for a number of years. They call it the barbecue town hall, and so they will take they'll just invite people and they they have an opportunity to visit. But they'll bring some really good speakers in, like they'll bring a guy in that'll talk about beef prices, what okay. he suspects beef prices are going to do. I'm doing one. Dr. Sable uses me a lot on the smoke panel because of my background in the fire department. Uh, just talking about, you know, kind of the fire behavior, the fire dynamics part of that. And so I am doing a program called that I'm developing right now. We've never done it before. It's called fireproofing your business. And, uh, so you know, you, you look around the state of Texas, a lot of our barbecue places have had significant fires. At all. Oh, yeah. You know, you look at Franklin's or uh, Himes just had one in Dallas in mm-hmm. their Dallas location here a few weeks ago. And, you know, just what to watch for, but also how we take that to the backyard. We're going to talk about probably use this program again in the, in the summer camps, both Smart. the brisket camp and the summer barbecue camp. And just for the backyard cooker. You know, things like some of these guys have built these uh, great smokers, but they're on a trailer and they have a wooden deck on them. <laughs> yes, that's. You, you know, that you're going to lose some embers mm-hmm. that. You're going to lose some coals. So, you know, having a having a deck that's fireproof, making sure that when you dispose and you clean your pit out is part of the maintenance part of that is making sure you're putting that in a non-combustible container Smart. and disposing of them properly. And, you know, in, in Franklin's case, he and I visited, uh, Aaron and I, uh, visited a couple of weeks ago at brisket camp. I saw that. And I specifically asking him about the fire he had. And, you know, that was a, that was a, a phenomenon from the standpoint of he had his night crew guy on, they were working or, you know, working. And the guy was tending the fires and Aaron does a really good job of managing his fires. Mm-hmm. But, uh, there was a hurricane came onto the coast of Texas and that gust front came through, blew an ember out of one of the, uh, uh, pits. And that thing got wedged over in the side of the building. And, uh, I mean, that's just, you know, when you got 40, 50, 60 mile an hour winds blowing, how do you, you know, how do you control and manage that? I mean, there was just hardly anything he could have done about that. That was in a very significant fire that had him close for a number of, you know, months. Well,
0: now with, with, with something like that, how would you avoid, would you uh, do a specific type of insulation, or is there something that you can do to protect your building or what would you do?
1: You know, and I think in Aaron's case is that you got to realize that, uh, Hey, I've got a significant weather front coming through tonight. You know, you kind of have to pre-plan that so to speak, and then just maybe have more people on, you know, on duty. I think there was just one guy there and, uh, uh, just watch where that stuff's going. But also, when you design and build those facilities, you've got to do that and make sure that you don't have many combustibles around. Yeah, I you know, no. We're just something where something gets away from you. Uh, you know, you don't have a wood pile close by. Uh, or if you do, it's, it's upwind. You know, there's a lot of things you could do about that. But you just got to pay attention. I think probably another person there helping could have, you know, made a difference in that that case Uh, but
0: hutchins had one recently too hutchins had a
1: fire i think it was electrical i think that was a sign or something i don't remember but that's another one i know i need to look at they they had another fire but restaurant fires are are reasonably pretty common and one of the things i'm going to talk about in this program is that where you put your emphasis and when you're in the in the in the restaurant business as a whole but barbecue people specifically is that you got to put your focus on where that is as a, as a firefighter for the last 40 something years, I'm going to tell you, I never went to a fire in a restaurant that was in the front of the house. Those fires never start at the hostess table. (laughs) They always start the back. Okay. Okay. I always went to the back of the building. So it's in the kitchen. It's in the storeroom, mm-hmm. uh, but also you got to think that's where our employees smoke. That's where they charge their phone. Yeah, uh, that's where the pits are. I mean, all of those things. So that's where you need to put your focus on is in the back of the house, it's taking <laughs> care of business, keeping it yeah. clean, maintaining it, using a quality uh, electrician because some of these is going to be electrical in, yeah. in nature. Don't be just letting some jackleg electrician or you, uh, unless you're really good at it, trying to uh, uh, do electrical work back there. Have somebody that's le- uh, licensed and bonded, because you certainly may need that uh, that that license and bonded uh, for your insurance.
0: There's a lot of shoddy oh, work. Sure. I'm sure you see a lot right. of it. And and, and just because right. I want to keep that part part in, this is very interesting. I think a lot of people will take a lot out of that, and they'll want to be part of this class and i'm sure like when you know I've, i'm three years in and still trying to make the summer camp and and camp brisket but i i i can't wait because i think this is very important this is integral what you're doing now can you give a little background here because you're the deputy fire chief for, for the fort worth fire department or is, are there multiple fire departments in fort so worth
1: i'm the i'm the executive assistant chief so okay. i'm the number two guy in the fort worth fire okay. department uh and you know it's uh F- fort worth a lot of people always think about Dallas Fort Worth and, and, uh, we're the, um, uh, 12th largest city in the United States now. And, oh uh, if you look at the, at the top 10, we had two of the top 10 barbecue places, uh, in, in Fort Worth, oh. Goldie's and, uh, Panther city. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, an emerging food scene there. And, and even though I am in the fire department, uh, probably people probably recognize me more for my relationship with uh the the food world uh mm-hmm. you know i'm a my my real passion is i'm a chuck wagon cook yeah and, and i uh, want to get
0: i'll get heavily into know, that I, i've taken I, a lot cater- of notes so hopefully i could ask you the right way
1: okay yeah so you know my my background in in the fire business i've been uh you know in the fire business since 1978 uh, I've been involved with Fort Worth since 1985. So I worked my way through the ranks. And so I'm now the number two guy in the Fort Worth Fire Department and getting close to retirement. I'm at the end of my runway as far as uh, working in the fire department.
0: I don't know if this is a little tangent. Do you know that Sam Jones is, I think he's a volunteer uh, fire chief in Aden, North Carolina.
1: I don't I don't know, Sam. No, I don't.
0: When I talked to him the last time, he was, uh, he has a giant fire um, Barn that he he does work out of. We talked, and he was talking about how it, because it was so local that he was called upon. And when he was training people, he'd say, "You know, you might be coming to a family member's home or a, a neighbor sure. that you know, or someone that you grew up with." So, or coming on scene of a car accident. So, how how was that mentally? How do you how have you dealt with that?
1: You know, I I have had those incidents so. My family dates back. I live in Granbury, Texas, which is about 40 miles southwest of Fort Worth. Yeah. uh, Right here on the Brazos River. And and, uh, so my family hasn't been involved with with the Granbury Fire Department since 1907. Wow. And so I was my my dad was uh, the fire chief here. I was the fire chief in Granbury. I I, that's how I got interested in the in the fire service was through my volunteer service in my own hometown and uh, and then went on to Fort Worth to, to work as in a you know in a career fire department, but still really involved. But but that is an interesting part of being a firefighter in your local town is that you do I've I've made a number of incidents, car wrecks, and hard attacks, and fires in people's homes of who were close family friends, yeah. and uh, um, you, you don't realize how how that what that connection is until you see. People that you know that mm-hmm. have been killed or injured or their, their properties damaged—that um, that really has a, a pretty big mental mental aspect of that. But you also know that you're doing something for your community when you do that, and you're trying to help. I mean, it is really it is the uh, uh, it, it's it's being a soldier in on the front line of oh, your yeah. hometown. It's defending your own home.
0: yeah and it's it's valiant and i and i i appreciate so much what you do and i i recently because of the anniversary of 9 11 they had a lot of documentaries and they had a documentary that was these filmmakers from france who had come and they worked with the fire department i don't know if you saw that but that was so so
1: powerful for france uh, i just uh and there's been a book published and you should read it it's called uncommon heroes okay it was written by a guy named joseph Pfeiffer. Joseph Pfeiffer actually is a friend of mine. He and I have taught together. Oh. Joseph Pfeiffer was the battalion chief that the French guys were riding with. Oh,
0: fascinating.
1: So, and I interviewed him in the 60 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, but, but look for Joseph Pfeiffer's book. It's a fascinating book on the inside of being in the lobby of the World Trade Center. Joseph Pfeiffer's brother was killed there. He sent basically sent him to his death. I remember. He was in okay. command. He was the first battalion chief in the World Trade Center. And he sent his brother basically to his death, unknowingly, of yeah. course. And uh, But Joseph Pfeiffer is a fascinating guy, teaches, uh, uh, consults and teaches around the world now, uh, teaches at the, the uh, crisis management at Harvard. Uh, but just an awesome guy, a close oh. personal friend of mine.
0: Oh, that is. I'll, I'll, after I get off this interview, I'll, I'll order that book because that's, that was, yes, that was such a, I, I think I had seen clips from that maybe, but I never had seen it in, in its entirety. And I watched a little bit on 60 Minutes and then the whole thing. And that was, yeah, what so they he was with.
1: interviewed on the 60 Minutes. The French guys were sitting in the back seat of his Suburban and he has this has his uh hat on and talking on the phone and and he has they're rolling toward the world train he's standing in the street with him when the planes fly over you remember that scene yeah, in yeah. the clip the, uh-huh. but he's standing in the street chief i is with the french guy i
0: remember on that corner yeah okay right corner yeah. and, uh, they,
1: they were on a gas leak in manhattan that's what it was yeah yeah okay
0: How, no, how was that? This is so tangential, but how, what was that day like for you? And, and were you at the station that day?
1: I I was, so I was the captain of the fire department shops at the time. So I was managing the fleet for the Fort Worth fire department and a guy comes in my office and said, Hey, um, Homer, turn your turn television on. So I turned my television, my office on. And he said, man, I got a hell of a fire going in, uh, in, uh, at the world trade center and I said, a plane hit it. And then, so we're, we're watching that. And then the second plane hits and said, that's, that's not an accident. <laughs> no. So I called the fire chief up and, and I said, look, I, I don't know if you're keeping up with this, but that's an act of terrorism. Yeah. And we need to be, we need to be putting things in place to protect ourselves. So we started locking stations down, closing off facilities, making sure things like our you know that we didn't have any trucks sitting out where somebody could have stole them, and then just preparing in case wow. that we were that the that the country was going to be under an attack. But it certainly went through our our uh, system. Yeah, that was that was quite a day,
0: quite a day for everyone. But I never I've never spoken with anyone specifically no. that was working in a fire department. Oh, that's that's yeah, it's 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 such a rough rough day. That's but let's let's change course because people who are listening to this probably they're interested but they're also interested in your background with the chuck wagon is that chuck wagons were mostly used in that they like, were beginning to use in the 1800s is that when they first 1860s or something or
1: so let me give you a little historical background oh, on I love that chuck wagon so it, it really goes back to civil war days, and so civil war is over with texans start returning start returning home and uh this state was basically economically destitute you know it was uh we started the period of reconstruction but there was no money in this state wow. uh the, the war had drained it all a lot of people weren't coming back confederate soldiers returning back to the state well <clears throat> what we did have was millions of heads of longhorns that had for the last for the entirety of the civil war had been roman free and uh wow. multiplying of course but they're they're wild as deer. And um, so they, they were worth nothing here. But because of the, the north, the industrial area of the United States, they needed protein. And that was the protein that would, that could, you know, they needed beef. So the closest railheads were in Missouri. And so they had all these cattle here. Well, how do we get cattle from? South Texas. They started in South Texas, came right through the Fort Worth area, up into uh, Oklahoma, and then over into Missouri, Kansas, depending on what the closest railheads were. R- rail, railroads were moving west? Well, I don't know if you've ever heard the expression that an army moves on its stomach, and basically saying that you've got to feed soldiers for them to be able to fight. Same thing's true with, uh, with with a trail crew, is that you got to be able for them to ride all day, drive cattle all day. And those were 90, 90 days to six-month trail drives, depending wow. on what part of the state they started and came in. So they were living outside. So how do you do that? How do you feed a, a crew of 15 people, 15 men at the yeah. time, uh, and haul supplies, protect them somewhat from the elements? but but feed them and and because if you couldn't feed them they couldn't give you a day's work right that's true so uh a guy named charles goodnight who you also see uh his name a lot because he he was a trailblazer and he he found different the goodnight loving trail was one Mm -hmm. of the five major cattle trails in, in in texas but uh charles goodnight uh larry mcmurtry when he wrote lonesome dove he took charles goodnight's story Ah. And, and and did the adaptation for A Lonesome Dove. Stories really about Charles Goodnight and Oliver Loving.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, uh,
1: Oliver Loving actually got killed out in New Mexico uh, in an Indian attack. Got gangrene in Fort Sumner, and uh, he he Charles Goodnight was his really good friend, and he said, "Hey, do not let them bury me in this godforsaken country in New Mexico." Wow. So Goodnight loaded him up. And brought him back to Weatherford, Texas, and buried him in Weatherford, Texas, uh-huh. which is about twenty minutes. From here. But Goodnight was the originator of the chuck wagon. Okay. He realized that he needed to move a crew and feed them and take care of them. so he went to Weatherford, Texas. He had a, a guy, a carpenter, building a, a chuck box on the back of it where he could carry supplies and uh, Dutch ovens and food and all the things that he needed and use that chuck wagon in order to, uh, to move those trail crews.
0: So, so did and, people, and did so, people see what they did and then mimicked it? Is that kind of what?
1: Start, started mimicking it. Yes. And, uh, it was just one of those innovations that came along they go, Oh, there's a better way of doing something. And then you started seeing the big wagon and buggy builders. Most of the time they just took a wagon and did the, uh, did the addition to it, put the chuck box on onto a regular wagon? Goodnight used an a surplus army supply wagon to do. Oh, that. but uh, some of the other major wagon and buggy builders also went in there and and, uh, and and did some chuck boxes. But most of the time, they were just they were they were original. It's just like people's kitchens, you know, how do you want your kitchen set up? Uh-huh. And so moving forward today people been using wagons it's still a very chuck wagons very still a very uh economical way of ranching or taking care of cowboys in the big part of this country the the west texas the the arizonas new mexicos the wyomans because they may be out two hours from where uh they're they're living and so, if you need to start early in the morning, who wants to get up at 2 a.m. and drive two hours to you know where you're where you're going to work and unload everything? So they go and camp and stay uh, at the wagon, and that's still something that happens today. And people say, "Why? Well, you know, I never see a chuck wagon. You just you can't see them from the highway."
0: That's it. Right. that was kind of a question, but it, so people are still making chuck wagons. So that's, are there still companies, are there companies that were making chuck wagons back in the day that are still making them? Or are they, do they exist anymore?
1: No, most of those, there are people who are making chuck wagons today. Uh, there, but most of the time they're taking those wagons and again, adapting them to their needs. Okay. They're putting a chuck box on there. They're, they're putting all the, all the things that they need on there. There's some really good, uh, chuck wagon builders around the country, not, not, a, a lot, but I'm going to say there's a handful of really good ones. Uh, Hanson wagon work up in South Dakota, Okay. a guy named Glenn Moreland down in Fort Davis, Texas called Texas cowboy outfitters, uh, are building Chuck boxes, but almost any backyard woodworker could build a Chuck box. If he had the plans, what
0: the I Chuck box is the whole thing. Pretty it's pretty not just a now. portion.
1: No, it's just the back. Usually they'll just take a regular, uh, wagon. And now the chuck box is the back of okay. that. And it has a fold down table on it. It has uh, shelves. It's almost like a kitchen cabinet.
0: Okay. I feel like such a, a Yankee asking that question because I'm from Los Angeles. So it's like, it's not something, it's something that I, I long to understand, but I just, I, I didn't grow up with it.
1: Right. So in today's world, we're still, still seeing them used on ranches, but uh, pretty cool. And you could you can get on the internet and certainly find these. Is that we have a lot of competitive chuck wagon cookoffs. I saw and that. Most of those are somewhere in the southwest, and that's something I really enjoy doing. It's kind of how I got interested in. Yeah, how did you get interested? Getting more involved with the, my grandmother passed away in the early '80s, and she had a uh, cast iron Dutch oven, a true Dutch oven, what we call a range oven now. It has three little feet on the bottom. Okay. It has a, a, a lid with a lip on it to hold the coals on. uh, I found a Dutch oven in her house. And they go, yeah, you can have that. Take that. So I I took that and just started playing with it. And it was, I'd go to parties and somebody would be barbecuing or grilling steaks. And I'd take the coals and I'd make a pineapple upside down cake. Or I'd make a peach copper with it. And they were huge hits. Man, there's nothing better than a dessert cooked in a Dutch oven. Oh, nothing. Man. It's awesome. As good as any, any dessert in any restaurant you'll mm-hmm. go to. So as I got... More and more into Dutch ovens, I wanted an opportunity to, you know, play with them, use them, demonstrate, compete. My uh, my, my wife at the time uh, had a tie-in. I'd been raised on a ranch as well, and my uh, my wife at the time uh, had some tie-in to some uh, to the uh, Four Sixes Ranch in uh, Guthrie, Texas. That's if you're watching Yellowstone. Uh, that's a, there's, there's lots of tie-ins to the Sixes there. Sixes has a great chuck wagon and they have a long history of using a uh, chuck wagon. I, I haven't seen it on the show yet, but, um, so one of the ways to, to compete more, use my Dutch ovens was to get a chuck wagon. So I did that. And, you know, I, I tell people this story was that one, one day I have just one Dutch oven. And twenty years later, I'm I'm driving home from work, and a guy calls me, and he said, "Hey, uh, is this Homer Robertson?" "Yes." Uh, "Chuck Wagon Cook?" "Yes, it is." "Depends on who you talk to, but yes." <laughs> some people will call me a Chuck Wagon Cook. And some people won't. And uh, he said, "You know, I work for Food Network." And he said, "If if you call twenty people in the United States to talk about Chuck Wagon cooking, your name comes up nineteen times." I go, what? No, I I really, I really didn't know that. And then just a week or two later, as, as the story goes, I'm judging a throwdown with Bobby (laughs) Flight.
0: I was wondering how that happened.
1: How you get to a, to a point uh, where life's going to take you Mm -hmm. in certain things. But you know, now I, I, uh, I still, still love to go to competitive Chuck wagon cook-offs, uh, and I've been the world champion three times, but just just the opportunity to get out chuck wagons are like you, you know kevin have you ever had a, a party at your house where do people congregate like mm-hmm. congregate in the kitchen oh yeah and it's the same thing with chuck wagon there's nothing better than sitting at the wagon eating you know having a beer sitting around the fire but it's just like having a good party at your at your house is being at the wagon
0: but when when you first started, when you got the chuck wagon, and and forgive me, like do you have to have horses to have a chuck wagon?
1: No, no, you do not. Uh, you know most of these competitions do not require you to have horses. They don't. They don't require you to pull it. But what's happened over the last thirty years of, of me cooking is that these chuck wagons, thirty years ago, the wagons weren't very good. They were just kind of thrown together. The the whole chuck wagon cook off process has evolved to the point now these chuck wagons are are uh, museum pieces they're mm-hmm. beautiful well-maintained authentically correct but it, because in these chuck wagon cook-offs they look at two things out of a 100, 100 points uh, about 60 of its food 60 or 70 percent of it's the food so we always look at Meat, bean, bread, dessert, and potatoes. Five categories. It's always beef. You always cook some form of beef. You know why, Kevin? Because we didn't take chickens up the trail. Right? <laughs> of course. It was always beef. Makes huh? sense. Yes. We didn't herd chicken. So it's all, always beef. And so they want they want you to cook five categories. So it's not like a true barbecue cook-off where you're just cooking protein. You you gotta be a baker. You got to be a pastry chef. Uh, You Uh got to be able to, you know, to cook some kind of beef. A lot of times it's chicken fries or steaks or, you know, it could be a roast, uh, green chili beef tips, any number of dishes. So that's about 60 or 70 percent. And then the rest of it, they judge the wagon. So they want the wagon to look like it did in 1880. That was 1880, 1890 were the prime trail driving years, 70s, 80s and 90s. That, kind of another interesting point, if we don't get I, – I, I geek out on the history part of this. I know. I love this part. Please, please. Especially as as you – is if we especially Europeans. So when I'm doing an event, say in the Fort Worth Stockyards, and we have a ton of Europeans come in through Fort Worth and go to the stockyards, is that they're really – they're into the cowboy stuff in Europe, uh, especially – the trail driving stuff because what have they been watching? Old Western movies. Yeah, and they understand that is that you look at the impact of what the chuck wagon did is that they recognize though that twenty or thirty year time period had a huge impact on shaping the image of America around the world even yeah. today. That's fascinating. They they love that they love that cowboy stuff and and you know where you see those. You see those old Western movies, and that trail cook is often uh, uh, depicted as a as a uh, a grumpy, irritable, <laughs> uh, hard to get along with guy. I'm going to tell you, you cook on a wagon for four or five days in a row, and you're absolutely. I fall into that mode because you, he's the last guy to go to bed. He's the first guy to get up. Always cleaning always loading, moving somewhere else. It's It was a very difficult job. And that's one of the reasons he was the second highest paid guy on the trail drive. Um, oh, wow. Uh, the cook was. And uh, it's because he had so many duties to do uh, other than cooking. And, you know, he was the, he was the dentist, the doctor, um, managed all kinds of stuff. And so a lot of responsibility, oh. but was the second highest paid guy, but also very hard, you know but you had to have a good cook in order to get, keep good cowboys.
0: Wow. And it, it, it makes sense. And it makes sense too, that he would have like the first aid kit he would have, he would have everything. He'd be he'd have to have that kind of knowledge and it's tiring. I, I'm sure after, like if you said these, these ran for almost six months at times.
1: Yeah. They could go up to six months easily. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> how I, how, I, how was he after that? In all kinds of weather. So going back to the, yeah. the competition. So we use the five categories And then we also, we, they judge the wagon. So I want it to look like it did in 1880, no plywood, no plastic, no stainless steel. Is it that way they want that wagon to look like it did. And we can only use wood. So no propane, no gas of any kind is. So all that stuff's done, Dutch ovens, big pots on the fire using live coals.
0: And so are you still using your grandmother's Dutch oven?
1: I still have my grandmother's Dutch oven. I don't I don't use it anymore. There are some of those things that over time I've, I've put back and just try to, uh, you know, try to preserve. Because the the way that I use those Dutch ovens, we're rough on them. We, They get banged around a lot because we're moving them all the time. They get used hard. So there's a lot of maintenance involved with that. But that's just one of those family heirlooms I don't want to
0: lose. Yeah. Can you explain to people that might not know? Because I think the word Dutch oven is thrown around a lot what specifically is a dutch oven
1: so you see the dutch oven word thrown around a lot these tv chefs use it a lot yeah and they're 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 using that specifically as a cast iron either cast iron or cast iron that's been covered by an enamel right Mm -hmm. and that's what that's what they're using on our stovetops yeah when i say dutch oven i really mean range oven because there's a, a significant difference and i can send you a picture of a range oven and you can look it up. There's still Lodge uh, cast iron still makes them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there are a number of companies, both uh, um, uh, in the U.S. and abroad, cast in Dutch ovens. So normally those would have three um, feet on them, three uh, little cast iron legs, and and the reason for that is to hold that up off the coals. Because when you're cooking with a Dutch oven, a true range oven, camp camp oven is that you're using both top and bottom heat. And I do that. So we put coals on the bottom mm-hmm. and we put coals on top so that it makes from both directions. And, uh, the way that you regulate the heat, people said, well, how do you get good with that? Well, you burn a lot of stuff. You <laughs> Just burn like a lot of else, your, yeah. your, your food and, and then you go, Oh, you know what? That was way too much heat. I cooked mm. that too, too fast. So, uh, what I do is I build coals, and uh, there's a lot of these Dutch oven societies, people that are interested in cast iron cooking, there's these Dutch oven societies that you don't have to have a chuck wagon, but you can use your cast iron Dutch ovens. And they use uh, charcoal okay briquettes And they can tell you how many coals to put on top and how many to put on the bottom. Uh, some There's a lot of really good techniques out there to do that. I use coals from uh, wood that i've burned down and i use a lot of hardwood in in texas we either use that hardwood is normally either oak or mesquite mm-hmm. and uh so we uh i'll burn that burn that wood down to get a good bed of coals take the shovel and then i'll shovel the outside build a ring around that uh, uh, those dutch ovens because you got to remember the bottom will tend to burn quicker than anything else Yeah. Because it's closer to the heat, sure. and there's no airspace in there. The top will is a little bit more forgiving because you've got normally you'll have two, three, four inches of airspace oh. between the lid and the food product. Uh, but the bottom tends to burn a little, so you'll use um, you'll you may just kind of build those coals around there. But how you regulate the heat is by taking the coals off or on adding more coals if you need it or picking the Dutch oven off and just taking it, moving it off the coals and slowing the cooking process down. That makes sense. You can control it. Well, you can, you've got some control over it. tons of man. There are just so many good YouTube and, and internet videos of Dutch oven cooking. Oh, I'm
0: sure uh, now. Yeah,
1: <laughs> still a lot, of people. a lot of people are, um, using dutch ovens and you can't go into a good uh outdoor store uh academy cabela's bass pro shop every one of them will have a dutch oven uh will have a number of dutch ovens to pick from uh, just because people are still using so then
0: how did your connection with texas a&m did uh Dr. Sable contact you or how did that, or, or is it, I know that your son, did your son, so, is that what
1: my, so my son, attended Texas A&M. he's a, as we were, uh, you know, uh, lovingly referred to him as meat nerds. <laughs> he, uh, he went down there in 2014. And, and again, cause my connection with, with them was through tie. Um, so they, they would, uh, they would invite me down to, uh, we started out, uh, uh, helping with the uh, on friday afternoons they have their barbecue class for mm-hmm. their students are you familiar with that uh-huh
0: i think i remember so talking they, they about
1: have it. incoming freshmen will come in and that class is at 4 15 on fridays and it's it's a weird time to have it but what they're trying to do is, is build a connection with with those kids to stay there and go to the ball games mm-hmm. so every friday afternoon in the fall there's uh these kids stay and they they learn. They'll 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 cook briskets one time. They'll cook pork butts one day. They'll right before Christmas they fry turkeys. Ah. So they're doing all these different. So I started going down there helping with the Friday afternoon barbecue class oh, because okay. Ty was involved with that. And I'll tell you that that class probably, uh, even though Ty was an ag major, it it took him into the world of food and meat. Uh, Ty currently works for two old uh, Aggies that own a company in Fort Worth called the meat board. Oh, he works at the meat board. Okay. Um, yeah. Have you seen the meat board? He, I, I talked uh, to Joe you've the, ever seen their v- little videos on Joe Risky.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I talked to him a while back.
1: Yeah. So Joe, he works there with Joe, but if you ever look at their, follow them on Instagram or on Facebook, Ty does a lot of their, their videos. Oh,
0: there. that's Ty.
1: Okay. So okay. Now it me. makes He's sense. In the retail part and, and now in, in sales, but If any of your listeners are, you know, looking for really quality pieces of of, uh, uh, product, uh, you can get prime brisket there. You can get Wagyu, uh, uh, beef ribs, all the things that, great barbecuers need you can pick up there at the meat board great steaks and hand cut dry aged and and uh, just a regular case you need to go so i'd started going there on on helping with the friday afternoon class help keeping te- you know teaching a little bit doing a little historical perspective doing some dutch oven cooking and then we started doing it and we would always do it in november and then I, I would stay friday night and we would schedule in on the same that we've been to a texas a&m fighting aggie football game okay and uh you talk about people that get into tailgating. Aggies <laughs> get into tailgating. And, uh, I mean, you, you really up their game. When you've got a chuck wagon and 200 people standing around eating, you've really upped the tailgate. And and like I tell people, chuck wagons, that's the original food truck. <laughs> and, that's great. That is, uh, just... it, it's, that's the original food truck.
0: You're so funny. That's right. So
1: uh, we, would, we would tailgate, and then I started getting involved with their with their brisket camp and their summer barbecue camp. So brisket camp, we always take the wagon down. Uh, we just did that uh, two weekends ago now, and that's how I started getting associated with all of these barbecue guys. So one of the things that we found in, in brisket camp was that we tried all different kinds of – I mean, they tried it with different smokes, wrapped, unwrapped uh different kinds of wood, uh different grades of of uh of briskets. But by Saturday afternoon we had we had people who had eaten way too much protein. And <laughs> it looks like really it. had their really had their stomachs messed up, right? I mean you can just like anything, it's balance in life. <laughs> yeah. So uh Dr. Sable said, hey Homer, why don't you uh um uh, well, it started out just doing breakfast. On Saturday morning, we would do a big cowboy breakfast. Hundred 150 people. And uh so bacon, eggs, hot biscuits, uh Texas AM sausage, uh, which is fantastic. Ray, uh Ray Riley oh, yeah. Meat Center there at Texas mm-hmm. AM furnishes our sausage and such good breakfast sausage. Uh, breakfast tacos we take leftover brisket from the day before and make breakfast taco with briskets and and, uh, just a fantastic just a great great uh, you know big cowboy breakfast Uh, campfire coffee right on the fire and man and then it turned in hey you know what we need to do not only do we need breakfast let's cook some sides and Uh, I know Daniel Vaughn always talks about this when he rates these barbecue places that you you really, a good barbecue place really has to have good sides. I don't care how good your brisket is. If you don't have some good sides to go with it, uh, it it really, it's not as good as anybody else. I started doing sides for lunch. I'd always done, and the, the whole time we've been doing breakfast, we do some desserts. I really like to cook desserts. And so we do some cobblers and apple crisp. And I do, I have a really good uh, uh, blueberry bread pudding. And so the desserts are always big hits at at, uh, at the camps. But the, uh, the sides on Saturday have gotten to be a big deal for them. So we'll do six, seven, eight different sides. We'll do uh, green chili, hominy casserole? Uh, have, you ever eaten? have you ever eaten any hominy?
0: You know, that's, it's funny because I'm, I'm I became friends because of barbecue with Kelly and L and I had asked her about hominy. And one time she said, if you ever talk to Homer, ask him about hominy. Cause I haven't, I've had maybe once in my life because there's uh, Mexican restaurants here in Los Angeles, but I've never, I've never had true hominy.
1: Right. So uh, the Hispanic culture and Native American culture, both use hominy a lot because uh in some forms you can get it in, in dry in the dried form and all hominy is really is a is a corn that uh, corn kernel that's been soaked in lye, lye of okay. water and that lye water will make it s- swell up and and uh, but you can get it canned now a lot of great canned products or you can get it dry dries a little harder because you have to reconstitute it okay uh but they uh native americans use use a lot of hominy in the southwest mm-hmm. and then in the south it's also very popular because they will stone grind that dried hominy and make grits out of it hominy oh, grits okay i've ever heard that term. yeah mm-hmm. so it's it's still that same product so i use it and uh, i use canned hominy and then we'll incorporate some some green chilies into it and some cream and some onion and bacon and then Covered in cheese, so good. So oh. that that was a big hit. This, <laughs> I think, we used six number ten cans, which was the one, the big yeah. cans, uh-huh. the one gallon cans. Risky count this this last, and they ate almost every bite of it. <laughs> so we do we do all, just try to have some vegetables. We use a lot of beans, so we'll do a pot of pinto beans. Uh, Joe Risky has one of the best um, uh, lima bean uh butter bean recipes ah. that i've ever eaten and i love my that.
0: dad when he was yeah, alive man. loved butter beans so much so much
1: and some uh green beans uh let's see what else we do for that oh we do some okra and the the other one that's a big hit and it's surprising is a cabbage just some uh fried cabbage with some onion and bacon oh, and uh, just do it in a big oven and so that, that kind of gets a, you know, gets something a little bit green uh. into their system <laughs> and uh, is, a, is an, um, now has become an important part of a uh, brisket camp. The sides get to move more to center stage on the second day than they did on the first day.
0: Cause I've always noticed when I've seen photos of people in the morning and I've seen your, your breakfast that you do, I didn't know that you did the sides. And so for people that, that are, are on the list or trying to be on the list uh, for food waste and for Texas A&M for these camps. Do you do both camps or do you just do the, the one?
1: Just do the brisket. Uh, I mean, we just do breakfast and the sides for brisket camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always attend, um, the, uh, the summer camp, but just sat on the panel.
0: Gotcha. Okay. I think I remember seeing
1: I it. It. Okay. Okay. So, uh, It's If you've ever been to college station in July, it's hot or in June, <laughs> it's hot and humid. And not conducive to chuck wagon cooking you know i'm i've turned into a fair weather chuck wagon cook i'm either in the spring <laughs> or the fall but okay. i put the wagon up about the first of june and i don't get it out till the fall
0: but that's also so but that's something for people to look forward to not only do they get to meet all these great barbecue people and look get all this knowledge but if they attend the, the right camp so if they get a chance to be on the go to camp
1: brisket don't turn it something. down just because you're going to miss breakfast go, go to either camp. You can. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I
0: they're, think if you get, both. if they call your number and you have to go, there's
1: no, <laughs> I would say yes you to... you have to go. Yeah, You have to go. One of the things that I think I've learned that I enjoy about both of those camps is just the people I meet. I mean, it's expanded my, my realm of friendships. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I, when I get to hang out with Tootsie and Brian Breswell from Southside Market. That's a good guy. And Russell and Mitzi, uh, Missy and uh, John Brotherton and all these barbecue people. That brings another, uh, you know, uh, uh, artist from up at Eva Mays in Lubbock. Uh, so many great barbecue people that I learn from that I get. You know, we we swap recipes. We talk about cooking because I like to barbecue too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've really been fortunate to be able to hang out with those guys. You know, this last brisket camp, and um, I, and sometimes I have to, because I don't recognize them in, out of their element, is that we're cooking, we're doing some desserts. And i see a guy over there. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of my buddy uh, Arturo Garcia from Love, another great barbecue guy
0: Interesting looking, really interesting looking guy too. Really interesting
1: looking guy. He could he could play in the movies. He right? could yes. he could, play, he could be in eighteen eighty three or, <laughs> he's just an interesting guy. Yeah. I said you know like, who in that uh, who's the hell is that using our knives and cutting boards and? He goes, hey, that's a uh, that's Tuffy Stone, I'm like, Tuffy Stone, the TV guy. What's he <laughs> doing in here? And uh. so Tuffy Stone like he hangs out with us all weekend. And, He's fascinated by the whole process because he appreciates the, the, you know, you got to appreciate the, the task and appreciate what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's a n- different form of, you know, cooking. Tuffy stone is a, he's a French trained culinary guy. Yeah. And, and then went over into the barbecue world and he's under there chopping up cilantro and Hey Homer, you know, how'd you build these tables and where'd that Dutch oven come from? And, how do you know how much colds to put on there? And, and, you know, so he's, he's in a different environment. I didn't recognize him, but then it's like, Oh yeah. Tuffy stone TV guy from out on the East coast, barbecue guy, pit master show. And
0: Super a great, nice a great human. Yeah. I, I, I got, I finally got a chance to, to interview him about a year ago and he was so kind, like kinder than I even imagined. And, and he, and his, he just lost no. his father two years ago too. So he's going through, he was, he, his father was involved with a lot of his cooks. So he's, I, th- I think he, the way his mindset has changed a little bit too, about how he looks at the barbecue world and how he looks at uh, experience with people. So that's, that's really they, nice. They that he- cook,
1: in but you know, it's, it's cooking, but it's relationship. Mm-hmm. And nothing brings people together any closer than our relationship with, I mean, that's his primal. And, and, the, and that's another thing about the choke wagon is that's his primal as you can get i mean yeah. it's not very far removed from some guy sitting in a cave with a stick <laughs> and sitting around a fire and uh-huh. it it you know we're our, have our have our techniques gotten better obviously they have or we're we are smarter we we were supposed to have evolved but but that's a very primal way of of looking at life and and reflecting on life and,
0: and slowing down a little you bit can't too. sit
1: by the fire and warm your feet up yeah it does it does, but Tuffy Stone, great guy. Enjoyed having him at the wagon, and
0: that's and, neat. Uh, it was, uh,
1: it was that was super cool. But just the relationships that we've made with people around the state uh, is is probably one of the most important part of this whole thing.
0: How how do the kids take to what you're doing? Are they inter- Are they interested in learning when when you come around and cook? Is that something that they're curious about? I say kids or young adults. No,
1: yeah, well. Young adults, but you know my uh, Ty, He he was raised doing that, and you know sometimes you don't always appreciate what you have around you. And I think as he's gotten older, he does. But I always work really hard, uh, especially when I go down to animal. Because he they have a number of uh, people, uh, graduate assistants and uh, student workers. They hang out at that wagon a bunch yeah. because they want to learn. They're fascinated by that. And I'll let, them, I'll let them cook and I'll let them cut stuff. But that's an opportunity. Uh, as my friend Arthur says, a boy doesn't know what a man doesn't teach him. And, you know, you have to take time to uh, share that with those kids. I mean, you're teaching them life skills. You're teaching them to cook. Oh, yeah. If they can cook at the wagon, they can cook at home. Oh, yeah and uh i tell you one who's really gotten into that is dr sable's grandson uh jackson and jackson works he's uh jackson just turned 16 uh works for hutchins that's okay in he's McKinney, the one okay uh, Frisco, and uh i have he called uh jackson called me maybe five six years ago and he was in boy scouts wanting my bread pudding recipe and uh he was taking that to scouting because the scouts still teach Dutch oven stuff. Oh. Right? oh yeah. And, and so that's, he wanted to use that. He had seen me doing that at uh tailgate. And so he took that bread recipe, uh, bread pudding recipe and he went to his boy scout camp bit, huge hit, but he's, <laughs> he has it now. Jackson has a fire pit in his backyard and a, and a way to burn coals down and he'll take his dutch ovens and cook in, in the backyard uh i turned him loose at brisket i mean yeah brisket camp that boy i built him a good fire that morning he shows up at the crack of dawn way for daylight and cooks 300 biscuits for breakfast love that and never burned a one wow stayed on top of them and it's just cooking cooking 300 biscuits in, in Dutch ovens is a challenge. And, you know, I felt good that I had taught him something, a skill that he can use. He, great job, you know, and he's cooking the, he just ran the Dutch oven for me. Let me concentrate on, you know, just the coordination part of, of turning out briskets for a hundred people, 150 people over, um, uh, you know, over live fire.
0: How, how are you cooking the when you said eggs and bacon and things like that are you cooking do you have big cast iron grills or how is that i've got
1: yeah i've got uh, 20-inch skillets Skillets. i've got two 20-inch skillets that'll hold probably 75 eggs at a time (laughs) big uh, 20-inch skillets those things are you know that big (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's interesting i never yeah i guess it made sense i was just because i was thinking uh, you're not using anything with like little propane things like this it's all natural so i was trying to in my mind figure out how how is he well, doing you know, all this
1: we we do still use a lot of wood but you know we do need to cheat a little bit when we're doing 150 people yeah uh, right? it's not you know it's not competition so i will use some propane burners okay. to, uh like fry the sausage and yeah, uh, okay. to uh to cook the eggs and you know you know if you don't cheat you don't try
0: (laughs) i've got a question about because a lot of people that listen to this i'm sure are are curious about cowboy culture were you was that something that was ingrained in you were you was your family part of cowboy culture? because you said you grew up on a ranch so what is it about cowboy culture that's you you connect with?
1: You know, in this part of Texas, even though we're one of the biggest uh, metropolitan, fourth largest metropolitan area in the United States now, is that cowboy culture is still a big part of the, you know, the Western culture is still part of um, our life. My dad uh, worked on a ranch and so I was around cowboys all the time in the Western, you know, the Western way of life. And it really is just talking about values, you know, and, and, and trying to be the trying to be a good person and, Mm -hmm. and being loyal to somebody. There's a a term that people use and it says, you know, do you ride for the brand? And that means, are you loyal to the people you work for and, you know, for the brand that you work? Yeah. And so, you know, riding for the brand is important, but just having, having good values, uh, it's something that this country desperately needs right now is (laughs) more more than ever to think like that. Uh, at in you know and and more than ever in um you know i don't know in california if you know if your if your podcast is being monitored by the government or not i sure hope not, I hope not. um I don't, I don't. i'm just teasing when i say that <laughs> i know that's funny. um but the uh, but, but just just having good values mm-hmm. and and but cowboy culture western land culture is still a big thing uh in in certainly in this state uh but there are there are people that need to listen to that uh, yeah. and just how important that is. But yeah, Fort Worth, I mean, you look at in, in Fort Worth uh, every every day, seven days a week at, in our historic district in this Fort Worth stockyards. Uh, they have a cattle drive there. They drive longhorns up and down the street twice a day there.
0: And I didn't know it was every day. I thought it was kind of. Every day at <laughs> 1130
1: and 430 or 1130 and four. You need to look that it's called the Fort Worth herd. Okay. And the the herd is really the symbol of our city. It's a longhorn, longhorn steer. And if you look at our fire trucks, at our badges, at our uh, business cards, they all have the longhorn on there. And it's part of that. It's part of that cowboy culture. Well, it's it's interesting. uh, The forward stock show and Rodeo just, just kicked off this weekend. And over the next 23 days, uh, we'll have like 1.2, 1.3 million people attend that. Wow. I've always wanted to. It's, it's really kicked off. It's a, it's a big deal.
0: How is it 23 days? So is it, is there something every day then? It's a kind of event.
1: Oh, absolutely. There is some livestock show. There's probably, uh, uh, 20 or so performances of the rodeo and and they just moved into a beautiful new facility called D- Dicky's arena hmm. uh my wife and I attended uh, the rodeo not before last but it'll yeah now there's something multiple events going on every day and it's just crazy how busy it is horse shows cattle shows uh hogs swine uh, swine sheep llamas uh, <laughs> Cattle dog trials, mule jumping—you know, I, I I can't list all the things. No, but Budweiser Clydesdales are there. I looked at those yesterday, which isn't. If you ever get a chance to see the Budweiser Clydesdale, go do it up
0: I have I have always wanted to. They're oh. beautiful beef,
1: beautiful creature. And that's such an operation.
0: There is a by over here in Los Angeles, and I've wanted to go. There's a Gene Museum, and I've wanted to go for for years to go to the Gene oh. Museum, and then there's an I think there's another place that's close by my, my father loved I uh, loved John Wayne he loved Jean not and so I I grew up but I I didn't have cult, cowboy culture but it was sort of the the outdoor cooking that was a way that I connected with my father barbecuing it wasn't offset cooking right. the way yeah.
1: so they have in the stockyards in Fort Worth uh, last year opened the John Wayne Museum which is really supported by his family And it is a very very interactive. A lot of his uh, memorabilia and photographs are all in there. That's almost a destination in itself, is to just to go see the John Wayne Museum in the Forest Stockyards. Uh The herd goes right by the the John Wayne Museum. As a matter of fact, on what day was it? Saturday. I attended the 90th birthday of a guy named Dean Smith, and Dean lives out here west of us a little bit. Uh, For his 90th birthday, he had a birthday, his wife and sons put on a birthday party for him. Anyway, Dean Smith, one of the most fascinating guys I've ever met, played in 10 John Wayne movies. Really? As a stuntman. Look him up. Look an image of Dean Smith. Okay. And then you're watching a John Wayne movie. You'll see him. He's in a bar fight. He's falling off a building. He's doing a horse stunt. Uh, but Dean Smith's fascinating guy won the gold medal in 1952 in Helsinki. Was in the 50s, was the fastest man in the world. Uh, and then in about 1955, wanted to just decide he goes, you know what? I'm from I'm from Breckenridge, Texas. I can uh, I can go to I know how to ride horses, rope, I can go to Hollywood and be a stunt man. He was playing in the NFL, quit the NFL, went to Hollywood. And probably has 150 movie credits and played in 10 John Wayne movies. Just a fascinating guy, but still alive and and looks great. Well, look him up. Okay. And look young images of him. Just, he was just a very handsome man and still is a handsome man, but uh, you'll, you'll see him in all kinds of movies and shows and old, you know, Western series and that kind of stuff. Gunsmoke and tales of Wells Fargo and.
0: I used to watch all that. That was a, my dad loved all that. And now is if, if people want to hire you for an event or how do they get a hold? is it, what's the best way to get a hold of you? And is it, do you have a website or do, uh, what's.
1: So probably the easiest way is through my Instagram account, which is at Homer's Chuck wagon. Okay. And I love to have people follow me on that. And I try to post some pictures. Sometimes I, it's not always food. It's, it's something to do with the wagon or something to do with life. But I really love Instagram uh but at homer's chuck wagon
0: um you do trying, weddings right you
1: know with quite a bit of catering you know i'd like to cater because because again you get to meet a lot of really cool people yeah. and you get to give you get to pass the history part of that on because who's got that how many people to eaten off a of chuck wagon not not many. not many they're fascinated by how we do that. and one of the projects that i've got going on right right now kevin is and i'm building a um, i'm kind of building a ranch cookhouse and it's going to be Yeah, and it's going to be here behind my house. I'm going to have just a big open room and a commercial kitchen down in one end. But it's kind of a, on a lot of these old ranches, they didn't have the chuck wagon out all the time. Still had crews, had cowboys sleeping in the bunkhouse. And so I'm going to have a little bunkhouse in there, and I'm going to have a commercial kitchen so that I don't have to roll the wagon out. Because one of the things i found is when I cater, it really beats my wife's kitchen up. And so... We've uh, we've come to an agreement that I can build a ranch cookhouse so that I can get out of her kitchen and get all my junk out of here uh, because Is you it, do collect a lot of a lot of cooking paraffin. That's a project I'm going to do probably in my retirement where I can cook and enjoy that. Uh, it's going to have a place for my smokers and all that, so I can I can really uh, I can really get into it a little bit more.
0: Are you going to have folks out there too. Is that going to be something where you'll
1: you have- know I might I <clears throat> I may have a few few people out here i don't want it to uh i can't um uh, i'm not going to turn it into a restaurant it's not an mm-hmm. event space i don't and i don't know if you've ever interviewed him but i think he's a great barbecue guy but I, he has one of the best i think one of the best restaurants in the state and that's tom perini i you know i've you I, know I, he's tom on my list tom?
0: i i every month i put i have a list and i i think i need to talk to tom perini because i've seen his ranch and i've seen photos of the interior uh, with that big fireplace
1: if That's my death row meal. So if I'm ever on death row and they said, you know, what, what do you, what do you want? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm asking for Perini stuff.
0: Okay. What would you Uh, order?
1: What would I order from Perini's? I'd have the ribeye, uh, the Perini zucchini, which is a zucchini (laughs) dish that he cooks and it's so good. Probably um, that, a, a green salad and the bread pudding.
0: Right, buddy. Okay. Do you have? Or, are you, do you have all strawberry your strawberry shortcake? Strawberry shortcake too. You might as well. Okay. I, I I spoke over. It. I apologize. So you you also would have the strawberry shortcake.
1: I love his strawberry shortcake. It's really good. Thanks. It's one of those destination places. Is that you go to? And it's it's so rustic and so simple, but it's so beautiful. Tom is a is a James Beard winner. Super guy, president of the uh, Texas, uh, at one time, president of the Texas uh, Restaurant Association. Wow. Uh, and his location is, it's, uh, I don't know, probably 15 miles south of Abilene. And uh, in a beautiful little town called Buffalo Gap, you you wouldn't think that that quality of restaurant would be out in the middle of nowhere, but it is. Is
0: there, Is there—is there somewhere to stay there or is it just a
1: restaurant? He has to two uh two small cabins uh that are that are pretty cool that you can stay there on oh. the property uh but it's it's 10 12 15 miles to Abilene. and yeah, there's yeah. plenty of hotel rooms there. there but it's a it's one of those must- go-to spots destination spot
0: thank you for bringing that up i wanted to uh, ask you about a painting that i saw what was that a painting of you. Who did you? Who did that painting?
1: So that painting was done by a young man named uh, Tyler Crow. And uh, Tyler's—I um, don't know—he's probably 30 now—and is probably one of America's, if he's not already, one of America's uh, greatest cowboy artists. So he focuses on that Western genre, you know, horses and cattle and cowboys. And that's something that he and I talked about for maybe two, three years. Uh, I've cooked, Tyler's been at the wagon a lot. And he he had this vision of what he wanted to paint. And it took us about two years of trying different things for it to finally come out. And he had that at their annual show in Fort Worth. Back in November, first weekend in November, he painted that that picture of me. Uh, I was very honored by that. Mm. Obviously, beautiful. I think that thing sold for twelve or thirteen thousand dollars. Really,
0: that's oh, so beautiful. Um, it's gorgeous. Yes,
1: yeah. Really meant a lot to me to have that done. I was really honored by that. Uh, but just a great, just a great photograph. And and uh, he, you know, he took a photograph and then and but but painted it in in oil. And he's such a talented young man, but does all kinds of stuff. But he just and just a good human being. He and and that entire family is his whole family very talented. His dad's a bit and spur maker uh, for Uh horse bits and cowboy spurs. His brother is very accomplished, and you need to look him up on Instagram. His brother's name is Tanner Crow, and he's a silversmith. Uh So he's intricate engraving, and then Tyler's the painter of the family.
0: This is, I could talk to you for five hours, 10 hours. This is, I am honored that I have a chance to sit down with you because I feel like I've learned so much. And, and, and another reason, how you talk about how you like to meet people doing what you do. The reason why I do this, there's a little bit of a selfishness that I get a chance to meet you personally and chat with you and get to know you before I see you at camp or I see you, when I come to Fort Worth, but I, uh, I'm honored. Thank you so much for taking the time.
1: You're certainly welcome. And uh, I, I'm sorry, we didn't get to talk more about cooking and talk about, you know, we talked a little bit about cooking, but man, there were just a lot of topics to cover, you know? Yeah. yeah. Is and there anything that we missed specifically that you I would want to talk about for hours? <laughs> <So can> I. <laughs> I just, I want people to get out and, and, uh, especially during these difficult days of, you know, with COVID. And I know a lot of people are locked up. is is get out and enjoy your restaurants and enjoy uh, events. Um, Like I'll be, um, this spring, I have a number of of catering events to do, but I'll also be cooking at the Fort Worth Wine and Food Festival. Uh, That's a place they have an event on a Sunday afternoon called Ring of Fire. And uh, so barbecue people, uh, I'll have my chuck wagon there. There'll be a number of different uh, things associated with the Fort one in food festival but on Sunday afternoon, we focus on on barbecue and meat, and you know distilled spirits and you know cold beer and that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, I, I just want to encourage people to get out and mm-hmm. and uh, and enjoy this what, what's going on in this great country, and especially what's going on in this great food world right now. I mean, how exciting is That's- is what we're seeing? In the culinary world right now so many great chefs and television shows and and uh just the quality of food and and what's going on and that's and what i want to encourage people to do i i agree, agree. Yeah. I that. hey and cook at home too mm-hmm.
0: it's important a lot of my relationships we, we, with, with women have been started with cooking because it's sharing that that the cooking it's such a it's such a wonderful it's Creating creating a delicious meal with somebody else, there's there's that connection. There's something that's you can't take away.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, what says love more than that? You know, when you're when you're cooking for somebody and sharing it with them, I, I don't I don't know a better way to to uh, to give your love to somebody else mm-hmm. or or appreciation for for you know whether it's a friendship or it's a romantic in, involvement or or just just trying to meet somebody new. Mm-hmm. You know. We don't, we don't do enough dinner parties uh, where we invite people that maybe don't necessarily. And and that brings up a good point is that we may not, especially with the country so divided when we're talking about, you know, I saw a deal the other day where 37 or 47% of, of college age, uh, democratic women wouldn't date somebody that was a a Republican, you know, wow. we need to quit forgetting we yeah. need to forget about that and just start focusing on the people. We all have some common ground mm-hmm. and how can we share that food is is certainly one of them mm-hmm. sitting down and having a meal. It's hard to be mad at people that you're breaking bread with.
0: <laughs> that's very true. And that's a great, it's a great opportunity to understand their point of view and to share your point of view, because that's what makes us great as humans and and wonderful as people is our differences. That's what that's what was, sure. that's our strength. Our strength is our differences, and people use those differences to polarize. Right, right,
1: and that it shouldn't be that way. But yeah, but it's you it's, know. It's, it's thank you we... for what you're doing, and you know, spreading the gospel of barbecue and cooking, and and uh, thank you. Uh, you're just in the wrong part of the world. You know, this is this from here to South Texas is the epicenter of all things barbecue. Believe me, I'm not. A- well, I you know, you, you gotta appreciate what you're doing for your mom too. I've I've been through that very same process. I I stayed with my mother uh, after she my dad passed away and she had a stroke. I stayed with my mother every just about every weekend that I wasn't out cooking or working for fourteen years.
0: Wow. Okay. Well and, working good uh, spirits.
1: Ty and I stayed there almost every weekend to uh, uh so that she could you know, have that sense of home and, mm-hmm. and, uh, but that, that says a lot about you, Kevin, taking care of it or like that. I'll send you some Chuck wagon pictures and pictures from camp brisket. Please now that Ke- Kelly didn't come this time, but our ability to document camp brisket was not as good without Kelly there. Cause that's, she focused on that shots.
0: So I, there's a photo of you with a, with a, uh, with a, a bandana. And that I think I might, I would like to, I'm going to ask her. If Why? I could be- they, oh, in
1: Texas, we call that a rag. A wilder? I started to wear one this morning. It's called a wild rag. Wild and, rag. Uh, because, right, not a bandana. It's a wild rag made out of silk, okay? It's okay. Silk scarves. And they, they said that, you know, you know why you call that a wild rag? Because if you ever see a guy wearing it, he's more than likely Wild.
0: <laughs> well, I almost wore one like a, a bandana today just to, because I thought maybe you would. And I thought, well, no, I could kind of match. I,
1: I almost had one on. It's chilly here this morning. It's down below freezing here in Texas this morning. Thanks, Kevin.
0: Thank you so much, Homer. All right, take care.